360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. High high. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone Territory, a.k.a. Berkeley. Today was May Day and all around the globe. People spent the day honoring International Workers' Day, and tonight, Full Circle will do the same. On tonight's show, we find out about different kinds of essential workers and what they do. Maybe you're more essential than you think. We'll speak with Dr. Stephanie Rogers from right here in the Bay Area, working out of UCSF, about our elders in care facilities and the pros and cons of bringing them home during the COVID-19 crisis. We'll also get an update from Echo Housing on the different ways municipalities are working to protect their residents from losing their homes during this crisis. And we'll also learn about immigrant workers. Documented or not, they are in many of the essential worker jobs. Are we taking care of them as they help take care of America? Find out when we speak with Pablo Alvarado of the National Day Laborer Organizing Network. All that and some Mayday music coming up tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, still sheltered in place, Free Will and Franklin. Keep it locked right here to 94.1 KPFA. Again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices from the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, which, by the way, is accepting applications at this time for our next group of apprentices. Check out our website at kpfaapprentice.org for more information and just click on that Apply tab for an application. So it's May Day, International Workers' Day. Yes, yes, yes. A big shout out to all the Mayday Strikers, Amazon, Walmart, Target, the Rent Strikers. We need to do all we can to protect everyone's homes and health. People out there working to serve us need to have protective equipment readily available. Those grocery store workers, delivery drivers, and no one should lose a home during this crisis. No one. Not the person paying the rent or the mortgage. Not the landlord not the small business owners, or the self-employed. Can we do that as a country? Well, tonight on Full Circle, we'll do our part to participate in May Day by bringing you the voices of essential workers, a doctor, a day laborer organizer, and a fair housing advocate. But let's kick it off tonight with some music to get our bodies moving. Then we'll be right back with our first guest. Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on, no matter what? Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on, no matter 
See, I gotta draw a line, I can't take it no more. If you ain't down with revolution, what you waiting for? Making money for suckers and not communities poor. Ripping flags off of coffins, man, this ain't our war. Colonized and terrorized by the world's biggest killers. The US government, the biggest weapon and drug dealers. Filling prisons with children, incarcerating the future. My space and Facebook got us stuck on computers. Stuck on stupid bumping music that's abusive to the shorties. And the nonsense that you're spitting, they just listen and absorbing. I've been dormant, I've been working. I'm a giant, I'm ready I'm with the Apple in Oaxaca And we hold the machetes I rock hard like Palestinian children Holding slingshots I'm with every single kid That's down for hip-hop For the culture, the life What it really stands for This music is resistance It's the voice of the poor I'm on the side of the workers The teachers and lunch ladies On the streets with brown mommies Raising our brown babies I'm with youth organizers Cleaning up the Bronx River I'm like Jaime Escalante When I stand and deliver I'm with Evo Morales Man, he run in Bolivia Distribution of the land so we can all live bigger I'm with Hugo and Fidel, Grandmaster and Melly Mel I'm with the Panthers up in Queens, Justice for Sean Bell I'm with Camacho Negron, I'm with Ojeda Rios Freedom for Oscar Lopez, time to get in the pill I'm with a Blue Jamal, I'm with a Sada Shakur I'm with the Compas in the market, he getting a penny more Welcome back. This is Full Circle on 94.1 KPFA, and that was Rebel Diaz with a reboot of Which Side Are You On? And that is a song that originated out of a minor strike in 1931. And tonight, Full Circle is honoring May Day through music, interviews, and information for you. First up, let's listen to this interview featuring Delia Pedroza of Echo Housing. That's Eden Council for Hope and Opportunity. The folks at ECHO work to promote equal access in housing and provide support services which aid in the prevention of homelessness and promote permanent housing conditions. They also provide rental and housing assistance, tenant-landlord counseling, and they help with home-seeking, home-sharing, and mortgage and home purchase counseling. At this time of record unemployment, a lot of folks are counting on government aid and protection programs such as enhanced unemployment benefits, stimulus checks, 
also rent relief and eviction moratoriums to keep them housed and fed. But with federal, state, and local programs coming at you all at once, it can get crazy trying to navigate. Let's check in with Delia and Echo Housing and learn more about what's being offered in Contra Costa County. Greetings, Delia. Thanks for joining us tonight again on Full Circle. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. So let's get into what's going on with housing right now. Um, we know there's record unemployment. A lot of cities and municipalities have enacted their own regulations different than the state. Could you tell us what kind of protections are there for people that are not able to pay their rent out here in Contra Costa County? Um, you can just name a couple of cities if you want. I know the county's big, but you know what are we seeing in the form of protections for renters? So that is correct. There's some protections that were enacted, and because every local uh, government has their own ordinance, so it just depends on the city. The city of Antioch has a eviction moratorium, and so does the city of Concord, as well as the city of Richmond, and of course the Contra Costa County also, you know, enacted their ordinance. So there, there's a variety. It just depends on it's case by case. And it would also depend on how the protections are worded in the ordinance. Well, let's take Antioch, for example. As far as I know, we spoke with Lamar Thorpe at the Antioch City Council, and Antioch has enacted a 90-day grace period after each uh, rent due date, and they put a temporary moratorium on evictions. What's going to happen when these moratoriums end and people still can't pay their rent? What are you looking for in the next coming few months after these protections are lifted. Right. Okay. So for one, uh, most of the, the protections will be lifted, like, you know, going through May, possibly by the end of May. However, they could be, if the state carries over or extends the uh, emergency declaration or the executive order, then these ordinances will follow. So this just depends, and we're just going to have to wait and see what happens May 31st. The Contra Costa County, I find, that has the broader protection because it calls for any rent that's past due. They would have within 120 days after the ordinance expires to start making payments towards the back rent. In addition to that, I do see there's going to be some sort of level as far as tenants having a plan of action in place, because what we need to keep our eyes on is the executive order. So once the executive order gets lifted, then 90 days after that, we're going to be seeing unlawful detainers getting filed at the state courts. So we just kind of have to be very watchful with the executive order, the statewide executive order. But once we have an idea what's going to happen, like May 31st, then I think tenants can start, you know, planning more or less. But there is some time to to start planning. And, of course, they have the um, unemployment insurance benefits. You know, it can go for 13 months. There is also an additional uh, benefit to those that do qualify. Uh, which it would be for wage earners, and it's also meant for self-employed. So for those that are self-employed who do not have the insurance, uh, the unemployment insurance uh, policy that they're paying into, well, through the state, even self-employed can qualify. 
So that would be some help as far as some sort of uh, financial planning. Now, what about our undocumented brothers and sisters out there? If something were to happen with between them and their landlord, are they covered by the county and the city's protections, or are they still at risk? They would still be protected. And in, again, the uh, Contra Costa County, the ordinance number 2182-C-S, this is the one that I have much more protection. As far as at your local level, we do have protection there. But this one is uh, covers uh, a little bit more. And the uh, because it's going to go over even 90 days after the statewide executive order gets lifted. All right. And how about you there over at Echo Housing? Have you been getting a lot of calls already? And what has been people's main concerns? So we did get lots of calls at the beginning of the month. And that's because rent is due at the beginning of the month. But a lot of calls that were coming in and a tenant asked, you know, sharing their financial hardships that they've been laid off or they've been furloughed because their company closed the doors due to the COVID and the shelter in place. So most uh, tenants who were calling wanted information. They wanted to see where they go from there. Uh, some tenants, were, one tenant I remember calling saying he, he's been laid off. He's stuck at home. He has no idea what to do next. So providing tenants with the information as far as protections and, you know, as far as uh, financial help or assistance that was coming from the federal government, that eased out the stress. We have assisted tenants in as far as communicating to their landlord that this is a pandemic and, you know, we help them and apply the local ordinance and we also assist them into providing that formal notice to their landlord. What should a person do if they feel like some of the protections in place by either the county or their city are not being followed by their landlord? Okay, so the urgency ordinance for the Contra Costa County, it does have a clause where if the landlord violates, for example, if they attempt to take possession or they do take possession, then the tenants will be able to institute a civil action. In addition to uh, the shelter in place, the legal order clearly states, and it's in the front page, that anyone who violates the shelter in place will be in violation of the order and they can be uh, cited with a they can have a fine applied or they can be put in jail. That is, if this order is enforced properly with law enforcement. So they should contact their law enforcement, their local law enforcement, to see what their protocol is. Perhaps maybe they have not been given that jurisdiction to enforce the legal order. But in that case, they can contact the sheriff's department or they can also contact the, um, the health department. Well, for example, if you have a landlord uh, going to the door and knocking, inserting notices to pay rent, in that case, it's best to have the communication open with the landlord at all times. At that level, it's best to, they can contact any housing agency, uh, tenants together, ethno housing, and 
we can help if a tenant needs help uh, communicating with the landlord or providing information about local ordinances, we can do that. But it gets to the point where they're being harassed by the landlord. Um, and at that point, they can um, either call their local law enforcement to find out the protocols or move forward. And I'm talking uh, when uh, certain events take place, for example, uh, wanting to find out if more people are living in the home and, you know, they want to go in, they want to force themselves to do an inspection. Well, we, we've had a couple of cases at the beginning of the month. So events that happen in that sort of nature, uh, they can contact law enforcement. Okay, and where can people go to really learn about what's being put in place to protect them? And there's a lot of information out there, and like we discussed, cities, counties, different municipalities have their own regulations. Let's just say, for instance, our Contra Costa County residents, you mentioned that maybe the county protections might be some of the strongest. Where could they go to actually look at this information and read for themselves what kind of protections there are for them? Right. Okay, so they can Google the urgency ordinance, and I would Google urgency ordinance number 2182-C-S, and that'll prompt the ordinance right off the top, as well as their local city government. If, for example, the city of Antioch, they can Google city of Antioch eviction moratorium, and it'll prompt them to the link that'll get them straight to the ordinance. Great, and we'll definitely put a link to both of those on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. So if you need to find those resources and you can't remember that number, there'll be a link on kpfaapprentice.org. Now, we've talked a lot during this short conversation about the tenants' rights, and I know Echo Housing is also a place where landlords could have their rights. If there was, let's just use for the example, drug dealing or something going on in the house, and they can't get them out. They have their own rights too. And I know some landlords depend on their rent for their income. You know, so what kind of protections are in place for landlords that are being asked not to collect rent when they may have their own mortgage or their own bills to pay? Yeah. So unfortunately this pandemic is affecting both landlords and tenants. So the um, HUD issued information about the CARES Act. And one uh, rule is the HUT number 20-054, which allows for landlords with multifamily projects to call their servicer and they can request up to 90 days of mortgage payment forbearance. So they would have to contact their servicer and find out exactly what type of mortgage they have. Um, in addition to um, private landlords, and there is the mortgage payment relief for FHA single family homes. So they should contact their mortgage servicer and ask about their deferred or reduced payments, which can go up to six months. And that would just be a start so they can even possibly get another extension. So I think what we're boiling down to in both cases here, whether you're a landlord or a tenant, is an open line of communication with either your your landlord if you're renting. Keep that communication open and find out you know what they're thinking. And then if you happen to be a landlord and you need relief for mortgage because you're not collecting rent, you need to be in conversation with your mortgage person. And there are protections for both of you out there. Exactly. Yes. 
All right, Delia, well, we're just about to wrap it up here. What are some of the best resources for someone that may be struggling with either a landlord or a tenant? I know Echo Housing is one. What are some other tenants' rights resources that you recommend if people have questions? Okay, so we have Bay Area Legal Aid, and uh, we also have for residents uh, living in the city of Pittsburgh, we have Community Pacific Services. And then we got tenants together, which they're a statewide. And they can also, if they need further legal advice or assistance, they can contact the, the Contra Costa County Attorney referral line. All right. And we will put a link, like I said, to all those resources on our website, kpfaapprentice.org. Delia, we thank you again for joining us. Welcome back to Full Circle. And thanks for being here again. You're welcome. You guys be safe. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA. Again, a big thank you to my friend and essential worker, Delia Pedroza of Echo Housing. I know having to rely on this bare minimum government support and at the same time relying on the kindness of others hasn't always worked out for us. So if you're struggling with paying rent and have been contacted by your landlord or mortgage lender, Please take a moment to learn about the protections that are in place for you in your area. We'll post the resources on our website. And if you need help talking to your landlord or lender to exercise some of these protections, you can contact Echo Housing at echofairhousing.org. And, of course, we will have a link to Echo and the other organizations Delia spoke of on our website after the show. That's kpfaapprentice.org. Let's take another music break, this time a classic, Bread and Roses by Joan Baez. Put your hat on, honey. You can ask Mimi to come and sing Bread and Roses with me. That a sudden sun discloses For the people hear us singing Bread and roses, bread and roses As we go marching, marching We battle to for men For they are women's children And we mother them again Our lives shall not be sweated From birth until life closes Hearts starve as well as bodies Give us bread, but give us roses As we go marching, marching Unnumbered women dead Go crying through our singing Their ancient call for bread Small art and love and beauty Their drudging spirits new Yes, it is bread we fight for But we fight for roses too 
go marching, marching, we bring the greater days. The rising of the women means the rising of the race. No more the drudge and idler tend that toil where one reposes, but a sharing of life's glories, bread and roses, bread and Hey, welcome back. This is Full Circle on KPFA. That song you just heard was Bread and Roses performed by Joan Baez, a definite classic. And tonight we are honoring May Day, International Workers' Day. And I feel like a lot of Americans still don't celebrate International Workers' Day. I'm sure it's partially due to the fact that our government has converted the day that once honored workers' rights and unions into a three-day drinking party called Labor Day, a day when we are encouraged not to think about work or our rights to organize. Maybe we can change that, and maybe we can regain the importance of May Day. Through labor activism, we got the eight-hour workday. We got overtime pay, vacation pay. Let's try and remember to tell our friends, our kids, our nieces and nephews about International Workers' Day and the rights of the workers. Okay, okay, moving on. As we honor essential workers tonight for May Day, we turn now to a doctor right here in the Bay Area, Dr. Stephanie Rogers. Dr. Rogers works at UCSF in San Francisco, and she was recently in conversation with Natalie Kilmer of the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Natalie is one of the newest apprentices that will soon be a regular contributor to Full Circle. As part of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, we learn interviewing skills from veteran KPFA producers such as Greg Bridges of Transitions on Traditions. This is an excerpt of the interview produced by Natalie for her interview class. In this excerpt, Dr. Rogers talks about the pros and cons of pulling our loved ones from elder care facilities as COVID-19 takes a deadly toll on numerous senior facilities around the country. Hi, this is KPFA 94.1. This is Natalie Kilmer, and I'm speaking with my friend, Dr. Stephanie E. Rogers, Assistant Professor of Medicine in the UCSS Division of Geriatrics, Medical Director of the UCSS AIDS-Friendly Health System. Welcome, Stephanie. I know for me, I'm personally worried about my dad who lives in a nursing home at this time. How do we know if it's a good idea to pull loved ones out of nursing homes? homes and then care for them ourselves. Yeah, Natalie, you and I have talked about this a lot. It's it's a really hard decision, and I think the decision is different for every family. A family needs to decide, do they have what they need at home and the right number of people to care for their loved ones? So if you do bring someone home from a long-term care facility, you do have to think about this as a 24-7 job. So even at night, your loved one could get up and go to the bathroom, and you may have to worry about them falling and these sorts of things. So you have to recognize that this is a full-time job for some people. You have to kind of determine your physical ability and the members of the household. Can they help with their activities of daily living? So things like getting dressed or taking a shower or getting on and off the toilet. 
you have the equipment that you need at home to do these sorts of things, and is everybody in your house trained on how to do these things safely? For patients that have dementia or cognitive impairment, it can be really hard for them to understand why they have to stay inside and can't go out and talk to other people. I've heard of some families having difficulties with a relationship because it's, you're constantly trying to have the person understand why they can't do that, and sometimes this can cause some tension. So this is something that you do have to consider if you're thinking about bringing your loved one home. In the time of COVID-19, taking them out of a long-term care facility may be an irreversible decision for at least a a long time. There's many long-term care facilities that have closed their doors to new residents, and so if you removed your loved one, uh, it would be important to ask to make sure that if you want to bring them back, if that would be a possibility. We don't know how long these care facilities may be closed to new residents. So, so that's something to think about. I think there's a lot of risks and benefits that you need to consider, and this is an individualized decision. And I think, you know, if, if your family does have access to a geriatrician or even a primary care doctor, this would be a good person to talk through these decisions with, and they can kind of help you, help guide you through your ability to care for your loved one at home versus keeping them in the care facility. For people that are ready, the caregivers for older adults, especially those with dementia and cognitive issues, it's important to keep them active and mentally stimulated while they're at home and socially isolated. And so some of the things I recommend are that you keep a good schedule. So you want to keep older adults in their normal routine. You want to wake up at the same time every day, do your regular routines, brush your teeth, go eat breakfast. Get regular exercise in the house or in a backyard. Make sure that they're getting sunlight. They're able to sit out on a porch or sit next to a window. At night, you want to make sure they go to bed at a regular time and that their room is very dark and quiet so they can get good rest. And then you want to have as much social interaction as possible. So calling people on the phone, FaceTiming, Zooming. These sorts of things actually keep older adults You can play games with them, do crossword puzzles or other puzzles, reminisce about old memories. This is always a favorite pastime of many families. Daily gratitude can be important to think about all of the things that are important to us and that uh, we are grateful for. So if you're just joining us, you're tuned in to 94.1 KPFA. I'm your host, Natalie Kilmer, and this is the voice of my special guest tonight, Stephanie E. Rogers, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the UCSF Vision of Geriatrics, Medical Director of UCSF's Age-Friendly Health System. We have been talking about how to best protect ourselves and our loved ones from COVID-19, also how healthcare facilities and nursing homes are working to protect people in their care. Let's move on and talk about our future. When are things going to get better? (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the question that everyone wants to know. So I'm very hopeful that things are going to get better soon. Unfortunately, we don't know what that timeline is, but I am encouraged by looking at other places like China and Italy who are starting to see some resolution of normal life. That makes me believe that here in the United States, we'll see that same thing. And I think not knowing is hard. But I think this is an opportunity as we're all spending more time at home and with our families to just really concentrate on what matters most. 
and to be still and be gracious and to take care of your loved ones. And everybody wants to know what they can do to make things better. And, and honestly, you know, I tell people that physical distancing and wearing your mask, this is how you can make this pandemic possibly go quicker. So when we physically distance ourselves, we're actually protecting all of the people that we love. We're protecting our neighbors and we're protecting our communities and we can all get through this quicker. When the world does open back up, how would we know that we're not contagious if the first people we want to go visit are the most vulnerable people? How would we go about that? I think this is what a lot of the scientific community is focusing on right now. What's encouraging is that you have some of the smartest scientists in the world thinking about this and kind of all putting their heads together and working on the same problem. So the CDC is currently working to develop a test to see if you've been exposed to the virus basically a blood test that looks for this antibody. They say that there's really an unclear timeline for this coming out. It does take a while to develop this test. In order to even develop the test, they've got to get blood samples from people who have been previously infected, but they have to wait actually 21 days after they've been infected to even get those blood samples. So you're always kind of working like a month behind. And then after they do develop a test, we don't actually know, let's say you did have a positive antibody, we don't actually know if this means that you are immune to getting it again or transmitting it to someone else, and if you are immune, for how long. So there's still a lot of questions that we have to answer, and I know it can seem very daunting. So Italy, it sounds like they're on the other side of their peak uh, with COVID-19 and It sounds like in New York, they think it might be leveling out. What about here in the Bay? Have we reached our peak or are we going to hit it the peak later? And when would that level off for us? Yeah, I think the good news is, is because our politicians and our leaders in the Bay Area decided to put shelter in place very early in the disease course, we're already starting to see the flattening of the curve. And this is really due to how our neighbors and our community members are acting. It's really due to all of their hard work. I'm not sure when we should see our, quote, peak, but I do know that we are making tremendous strides as a community to decrease the number of infections that are happening. In fact, the other day I went for a run in Golden Gate Park, and every time I passed someone, they actually, both of us would move six feet apart, whether they were riding a bike or pushing their kids in a stroller or running themselves. Every single person I passed in that park did their part to keep six feet from each other. And it's this kind of responsibility and teamwork that helps the Bay Area. And there's a lot that we don't know about how the disease is going to act in the next couple weeks or months. You know, there's some scientists that suspect that the warmer weather will actually decrease infections like it does with a lot of winter viruses. There's other scientists that say that when the kids go back to school in the fall, this may slightly increase the number of infections because we know children can be carriers of the disease. The guidelines and the recommendations are constantly changing, and so we just have to keep our eyes and ears open and listen to the experts. Okay. So even if we get through this curve, there could potentially still be another curve. There could be. I, I, I think there would be some sort of situation in the country where different hotspots 
or areas are opening and closing at different times, depending on what's happening, at least until we have a vaccination, which we think is at least one year out. And so there may be a low level of the disease in the community at all times. And I think local government is going to have to make these decisions constantly until we have that vaccine in place. Okay. Wow. So, Stephanie, we've spent our time so far talking about hospitals and care facilities and the steps that they're taking to get this pandemic under control. Do you know of any resources for older adults living on their own and or for families so they can reach out for help? And what about people that are having a tough time being a caregiver currently? So, we actually know in the Bay Area that 33% of older adults live alone. So this is a common situation. I think a great resource that we have here in the Bay Area is the Institute on Aging. One of my favorite things is the friendship line. And this is a telephone number that you can call and talk to a real human being at any point of the day. The number to call is 1-800-971-0016. And for, for families that are having a hard time caring for their loved ones at home, I recommend contacting the Family Caregiver Alliance at caregiver.org. Okay, those are great resources. So, Stephanie, before I let you go, I'd like to ask, as a healthcare provider, how are you feeling and how has your experience been so far? Can you share any interesting stories? Yeah, I, I have gone through many waves of emotion. My hardest day was the day that we really put the shelter in place in the Bay Area. You have to imagine that the majority of my friends are healthcare workers, not only in the Bay Area, but across the country. So a lot of the people that I care for and love are at high risk. And so I had a day there at the beginning where I was very scared, but I keep in regular contact with them and we share ideas and we share stories and we laugh and we support each other. And so I do feel like we're taking care of one another. And I think one of my favorite stories is I was attending on the medicine wards in the past couple weeks. And this is a team. So we started our daily rounds every day with gratitude, saying one thing out loud that we're grateful for. And this made us feel good every day, and we laughed, and it made some of our tough days easier. That's a really sweet story. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for your time and for your service in the community. Thank you. It was great speaking with you today. Welcome back. This is Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. And thank you, Natalie Kilmer, for that great interview with Dr. Stephanie Rogers from UCSF. And if you missed any of the links or that phone number, please visit our website, kpfaapprentice.org, after the show, and we will have them posted there. We want to be sure our elders are cared for, whether in a specialized care facility or in our own homes. Okay, stay with KPFA, and we'll be right back with more Full Circle. If I'd been out till quarter to three, would you love? 
the door Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64 Welcome back. You're listening to Full Circle, and that was the Beatles with When I'm 64. Boom, boom. Okay, it's not quite a Mayday song, but I think it fit at the moment. We need to be sure we take care of our elders the way they deserve, to quote Maria, our guest from last week, speaking about her mother. Well, we're getting close to the end of the show tonight, but we still got one more interview. There's been a lot of backlash to California State Governor Gavin Newsom putting forth a plan and funding to support our immigrant and undocumented communities in the state. In fact, a conservative group has filed a lawsuit against the state to block the funding. This comes at a time when immigrants, undocumented or not, are helping to keep this country running and feeding Americans as the COVID-19 crisis threatens our food supply. Earlier this week, I spoke with Pablo Alvarado of the National Day Laborers Organizing Network to get some information on some of the work our undocumented brothers and sisters are doing for America and the lack of help they are receiving from our government. Greetings, Pablo. Thanks for taking the time out to speak with us on Full Circle on KPFA. Thank you for inviting me. Our undocumented brothers and sisters are working in many jobs considered essential. It could be healthcare as in the medical field. It could be on the front lines fighting the virus. It could be in the fields tending and harvesting the crops that we actually eat to survive. Can you give me some sort of sense on the numbers of how many people who may be undocumented are working in essential jobs around like New York or California? There isn't 
a specific number of how many undocumented people are working in jobs that are essential. There are segments of the immigrant population that we know, that we clearly know because we have enough data. For example, those who have temporary protected status, these are immigrants from El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Nepal, Sudan. These are countries that have gone through natural disasters and have been beneficiaries of the temporary protected status. There are about 450,000 of them and 130,000 of them work in hospitals, work in transportation, and they are truckers from, from Boston to here in Long Beach in, in, in California. You go there and you see TPS holders transporting foods. You go to restaurants, the fast food restaurants that are still serving food. Uh, the workers that are left that, are not being, that have not been laid off are still there producing the food. And let's not talk about, you know, the farm workers. Uh, the farm workers is what, in my view, those are the folks that are feeding, keeping this country alive. So immigrants uh, find themselves in a very difficult situation. Immigrants have toiled in the fields, in, in, in the construction sites, in the restaurants, in the hotels, in every industry, you name it. Nobody doubts their contributions. Everybody knows that friends and foes benefit from their labor. But, you know, the country refuses to recognize their contribution and accept their humanity. People take their labor, labor, but they don't accept their humanity. And that's, that's the unfairness of it. Well, what about the, um, the Dreamers and the DACA recipients that may be in the medical field? How about them? Well, I can tell you uh, from my conversations with the TPS holders, who are, for example, cleaning, who are janitors in the, in the hospitals. There are so many of them, both uh, undocumented and TPS holders and dreamers, who are working in convalescent homes. These are folks that uh, take care of our elders. Um, across across this, this country, their work is, is essential. And I can tell you that uh, the things that they're complaining about is that they don't have enough PPE, personal protective equipment, to protect their health and to protect their loved ones. I have relatives who work in the, you know, industry of taking care of people. They don't have any any protection whatsoever. In some instances, they have to buy their own personal protective equipment. And I can tell you that in the fields, it's only a matter of time. Workers are going to start getting sick. And the question is, what are the growers? What is the country going to do to save that industry, how are they gonna are they gonna bring more immigrants to pick up the letters and the tomatoes and when people get sick? And then the second situation that's happening with the farm workers, for instance, is that the housing is so terrible. There is no way to have physical distance when there's there's only one room and there are like ten, twenty beds in a storage room, you know. That's a, that's the kind of housing that farm workers have. So I believe that a crisis is coming in the production of food in this country because workers are going to get sick. Let's talk a little bit about how the undocumented essential workers are be treated. What is the National Day Labor Organizing Network asking for? Well, obviously, undocumented people have been left out of all the federal packages that have been worked out by both, by both Democrats and Republicans. Fully 
left out. Like if they didn't exist. And I understand because that is part of the strategy of this administration. Their uh, motivation has never been to fix the so-called broken immigration system. They want to create a situation of desperation uh, so that um, undocumented people find themselves in unbearable living circumstances. So they pack their own bags, bags and live on their own. These are the politics of self-deportation. That's the philosophy of the Republican Party. The people who have the power in the in the in the federal government are people who come who come from the from nativist backgrounds, from from the anti-immigrant organizations, and their their goal is very clear: make the life of immigrants as miserable as possible, so that they see that there is no space for them to live in our country, and that they live on their own. That has been the, that has been the their motivation since the beginning. And that hasn't changed. Uh, like in five five years ago, you know, the voices who were calling for self deportation and and mass family separation, those voices were marginal. Now they have the power of the federal government in their hands. That's the difference now. So what we're asking is that if if the federal government has failed has failed to recognize the contribution of immigrants and not include them in, in any federal aid. Then there is no reason why the localities, the municipalities, should do the same, or the states. Pablo, let's talk about that real quick. Because about two weeks ago, California Governor Gavin Newsom created a disaster relief fund that included funds for undocumented workers. What's the National Day Labor Organization's um, thoughts on what Gavin Newsom has done? Well, it's a it's a great uh, step in the right direction. Now, if you ask me, if that's going to be enough. Probably not, because we're talking about over 2 million undocumented people in California. And if you give checks of $1,000, $500 or $1,000 per family, then you're going to be helping about 250,000 families. That means that there will be still 1,700,000 other undocumented people left out of that assistance. So although it's a good step in the right direction, it's barely enough. And actually... You know, if you think about the contributions just in taxes, the contributions of undocumented people to the state, it's obviously much bigger than $125 million or $75 million, which is what, what they are designating. And they are expecting that uh, the charities bring $50 million additional. So I, I believe the right sentiment that people who have contributed need to be protected as well by the government, but it's not sufficient, but it's definitely welcome. Our adversaries, the adversaries of immigrants must understand, it's not like this virus is just going to attack undocumented people, and they're going to die in silence and, and disappear into the night. The virus is actually highly contagious, and what that means is that if the undocumented people is not safe because of the virus, then nobody else is. And that is the difference this time around. The, the best way to protect everyone in our country is by protecting the most, the most vulnerable members of our society. 
uh, working people. If that uh, food chain breaks down, then we're all going to be going pretty hungry. If you can see with the big pork plant that shut down, which used mostly undocumented workers, had like the hottest cluster of cases in the United States when the coronavirus broke out at that pork plant, which provided a large portion of the pork meat for the nation. Well, Pablo, before we um, run out of time, I want to get your reaction to the Center for American Liberty, their effort to sue the California government to block that aid, especially knowing what they provide for our country, whether it be through the paying taxes, but more um, substantially in the food that they are producing for us and um, serving to us, getting to American people. What is your reaction to an organization like that that would move to sue the government to block that aid? Well, the first thing, the first thing that I would say is shame on them. These are the people that are feeding them. That's exactly what it is, whether they like it or not. Of course, they would like to hide that reality because their racism, their bigotry, you know, is stronger than the beautiful sentiment of solidarity and helping people who are in need. There's a pandemic and we need to take care of each other. It's a virus that is contagious. If humble people have it, then rich people are not safe. If middle-class folks are staying at home, uh, taking care of their kids, fully isolated from society. Uh, meanwhile, working people there have either lost their jobs or are doing essential jobs. And those are the ones who are keeping those who are staying home uh, taking care of their kids, you know, it, because of because of immigrants. And it's very simple to understand that. Now, I understand that there are some people who hold really terrible sentiments about immigrants in their in their hearts and their minds. And it's unfortunate that 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 is stronger than you know recognizing the contributions that immigrants make to to this to this country. They actually benefit from the labor of undocumented people. And they deny their existence. They deny their humanity. And it's, 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 it's shameful. And there is, if there is one thing that's clear to me is that we're not going to stop our struggle. They probably think that uh, they're winning right now because they have uh, a white supremacist in power. They probably believe that. But, you know, the truth always prevails. Truth always conquers uh, the lies and the injustices, you know? And I, this is not going to be the exception. It might take longer, but at the end of the day, you know, justice will, will prevail, and we're going to win because uh, they, there's no way that they can deny how essential undocumented people are for this country. It's very visible, and if they, if they don't recognize it, it's because of their racism and because of their bigotry, uh, that they are not capable of, of seeing the good in the other. All I can tell you is that to their hatred, we're going to respond to not with the same hatred, but we're going to fight. And we're going to fight in the court. We're going to fight in the street, in the court of public opinion. Everywhere, we're going to fight to protect people. And I'll, I'll be there with you. Pablo, why is it important for Americans right now to not forget or brush aside the actual contributions that undocumented essential workers and just workers in general um, are making at this time? Why do we got to just remember how important they are? Well, um, (laughs) because they're feeding America. They're feeding the country in the first place. 
if you don't care about human rights, if you don't care about the humanity of other people who might be in more desperate circumstances than you are, at least care about what they bring to you. And that is their labor. The, the, the value of undocumented labor is so precious and is enormous in our, in our economy. At the very least, they should actually say, hey, we need uh, these folks, you know. And at the very least, if they recognize that contribution, then they ought to recognize that people deserve rights, that people deserve to be protected at the workplace, that people deserve to have a document, a social security number, a driver's license, that a worker deserves, you know, that personal protective equipment when he or she goes, goes to work, that a worker deserves to actually get up early in the morning, go to the workplace, and come back the same way he or she left to the family, to their, to their loved ones. Essentially, just allow for people to be equal, to enjoy the same rights and responsibilities. Nobody's asking for more than that. Uh, we're not asking for any entitlement. I mean, we, well, we, what we earn, we earn it with the sweat of, of our brows. We just come and do what we have to do. We work, you know. So to me, recognize that. And recognizing that means granting people their rights, their dignity their respect, you know. Well, that's the voice of Pablo Alvarado. He is the executive director of the National Day Labor Organizing Network. Pablo, thank you very much for enlightening us tonight and putting out um, some great words about what we need to respect um, when people are feeding our country. Give them the dignity, the respect that they deserve. Thanks for being thank on tonight. Thank you so much. All right, well, we'll talk yeah. soon. Take care. That brings us to the end of the show tonight. Another big thank you to Pablo Alvarado of the National Day Laborer Organizing Network. To learn more about what NDLON does or to get involved, check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, where we will have links to all the organizations and resources we talked about tonight. And don't forget, next time you're enjoying some fruit or some vegetables or even that pork tenderloin, Remember that many of the workers that brought that food to your table were immigrants. All right, our executive producer is Miss M. Our technical director is myself, Freewill and Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. Shout out to tonight's special contributor, Natalie Kilmer of A Word From. And I have been your host tonight, Freewill and Franklin, saying please, everyone, protect your health and your humanity. Thanks for listening tonight and stay tuned. Coming up next is La Onda Bajita. Peace.